Hey, Cole here with The Surpassing Worth. It's our 20th episode here on the podcast, so I would just like to, one, celebrate that and say thank you for listening and sticking around. And if you're new, welcome to the podcast. This is probably the best time to pick up as we're getting to a good part of 2 Corinthians. But hey, I wanted to say, if you've been listening to this podcast and have enjoyed it, uh, I just want to ask you to share one of your favorite episodes with a friend since it's the 20th episode, just to celebrate that milestone. Personally, for me, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed going through 2 Corinthians. Uh, we're about to get to one of the best parts in it with uh, this episode and getting into chapter 5, so really excited. And without further ado, let's enjoy this next section. Welcome to The Surpassing Worth, a podcast where we study scripture, know Christ deeper, and treasure Him above all things. This is your host, Cole. Thanks for joining me. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, We are going to spend another episode in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. So I posted a sermon last week. It was my second sermon ever preached. I was 17 years old. I'm 24 now if you need some reference. So uh, that sermon's a bit dated and it brings up a lot of uh, things in my life that were going on at that time that really uh, God used to help me see the purpose of suffering. So if you haven't listened to that, uh, go back and just uh, give it a listen. It's it's a bit awkward, but <laughs> I think God uses it and God uh, blessed me personally through learning about suffering and the purpose it has. But I, w- I want to spend another episode on this passage, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12, because it is so rich and so deep. And I want to approach this time more from a commentary perspective, just bringing out some insights from the text and how to apply it to our lives. So the title of this episode is Your Suffering Has a Purpose. Let me read the passage of scripture and then we'll pray. Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Pray with me. Father, I thank you that you are not uh, immune or unmoved by our sufferings and our weaknesses But Lord, as Paul went through all of these things and he's writing about them and he saw that the surpassing power belonged to you and that the purpose of everything he went through for your kingdom would be so that your light would be greater in his life and that people may look at his life and and see that, Lord, you are are good, that you uh, are true. God, we thank you that we do have the treasure of the gospel in our lives and that despite what we go through, Lord, the purpose of our sufferings is to relate to your son, Jesus, and be conformed to his image. And I pray that that's what we'll see today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want to divide this section into three parts. The first one is that uh, in our weakness, he is strong. 
like the old song, in our weakness, he is strong. The second part is in our suffering, he shines. So we're going to look at how God uses suffering in that purpose. And then the last section, verses 11 through 12, by dying, we live. So lots of paradoxes going on, lots of things that don't seem to make sense at first, right? Like how could a good God allow so much suffering and so much pain? And even Paul, how could Paul, the great missionary, why would God allow him to go through all of these things as a worker for God's kingdom? But we're going to see how God's kingdom is backwards. He uses things that we wouldn't expect to bring him more glory and to bring us to to be conformed more into the image of Jesus. So let's start in verse 7 and look at how in our weakness that he is strong. Paul says this, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So the first question we have to ask is, what is this treasure that Paul is talking about? Is he talking about money? Is he talking about uh, just something that is, is worth it? And we asked that question, and we had to go back into context. So likely, uh, this comes from verse 1 and verse 6 of chapter 4, where Paul talks about the ministry of the gospel. And then two episodes back, we talked about how God has shown his light in our lives and given us knowledge of Jesus. So likely what Paul is talking about with this treasure is the, the ministry of the gospel. It's the beauty of knowing Jesus personally in our lives, that if we have received the gospel, we have received the light, the transforming power of Jesus dying and taking all of our sins upon himself so that we can have new life. And so this is a treasure. And in fact, this is the same exact word that Jesus uses when he talks about uh, the kingdom of God being like a treasure hidden in a field. It's the same word that he talks about when uh, you shouldn't seek treasures on the earth, but you should seek treasure in heaven. So likely Paul is is drawing from uh, these words from Jesus as well, that we have this treasure. And so we have the beautiful uh, demonstration of God's love in our hearts because we have experienced the transforming power of Jesus dying for our sins and rising again to bring us into new life. As Paul says, Later, a chapter later, he says, the old is gone, the new is here. So this is that treasure. So where is this treasure? And we have to ask this, like, if God has given us such a great prize in the gospel, how is he going to show it off? How is, is he going to display this beautiful gospel to all the world to see? This is Paul's answer. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Okay, so normally if you have treasure, you're going to keep it in a vault. You're going to keep it very safe. Or if you're like a king and you just have a bunch of treasure, you're going to display it all around you, right? Your whole palace and temple is just going to show off all the gold that you have, all the treasure. But never, ever would somebody imagine that you would put treasure in a jar of clay, right? Like this is for us akin to like putting it in uh, our plastic cups at home. Jars of clay during this time were very common earthenware vessels. They were used for everything. They were easily shattered, so they were cheap. And so what Paul is saying is he's, he's making a, such a play on uh, the ministry of the gospel. He says, God has put his most prized possession, his, his gospel, the gospel of Jesus, the power of Jesus in the weakest vessels possible. And who are these weakest vessels? That's us. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. We are those jars of clay. We are weak. We are easily broken. I think about this in my own life and how beautiful this verse and how comforting it is to me that 
even in my greatest weakness, that God has still chosen to put his gospel, to give me salvation. And it's nothing that I've done. It's nothing that you've done. It's only by his sheer grace in our lives that he has chosen such a weak vessel like me, such a, a sin-ridden, wretched vessel like me, and he has given the gospel. So I want to encourage you today, if you have ever experienced deep weakness and suffering and even feel as if you are not good enough for God, that is completely opposite to what Scripture says. God says that uh, he has he's given his gospel to weak people. And in fact, the weak will shame the strong. God will use our weaknesses. He'll use even our sin struggles uh, to transform us, to see us, to to make us uh, more like him. And so in our weakness, he is strong. So we have this great treasure. And then in verse seven at the end, Paul says that the point of this is to show, to demonstrate to the world that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So the purpose, God's purpose in giving the gospel to weak, broken vessels is for his glory. It's to show that he will get the glory out of this, right? Like God didn't choose the, the most powerful, the most smart, the most wise people of this age to receive the gospel. He's, he's often chosen those who are poor in spirit, those who realize their need. Jesus says, I didn't come to heal those who don't need a doctor, but those who are sick. God saves the weak. He saves those who know their need for a savior so that he will turn around and transform their lives and get the glory out of it to baffle the world. That doesn't make sense. So God gets the glory. The surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. No boasting in this. I, I, I haven't done anything to deserve the grace of Jesus in my life. But God, even in my weakness and even now in my struggles and in your struggles, he has given us the gospel. He's given us himself. That's such a beautiful picture. And I think of it, to, to bring it to life, I think of it like this. You go out on a starry night, right? It's, it's pitch black outside except for the stars and the moon. But during the day, you don't see those stars. And so it, it's only when the night comes out, when there's a lot of darkness and weakness around that you will see the light. And this is really the analogy that Paul's going for is, is he's saying that God has put his all-surpassing power in weak jars of clay so that in the darkness, his light might shine brighter. And this is the darkness that Paul talks about, verses 8 through 10. In our suffering, God shines. Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. You see what he's doing there? He, he's, he's putting up a string of sufferings. There's four sufferings there. He says we are afflicted in every way. We're perplexed. We're persecuted. We're struck down. But then what does he do? He, he goes around and it's, it's the second paradox of this. He says, we experience these things. And you have to remember that Paul during this time was experiencing great persecution for his gospel ministry. He was going from city to city, from town to town, and he was just going into uh, these places and preaching 
the gospel, what God had done through Jesus, that God had sent his son uh, to be the sacrifice for our sins and that by repentance and turning to him, you can have new life. Not only that, but God has raised this Jesus from the dead and all faith must be placed in him for there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. So he's going around to these cities proclaiming the gospel and this is what he gets. He's afflicted in every way. He's perplexed, persecuted, struck down. At one point, Paul was literally stoned to the point of near death. And he was dragged out of the city by by his friends. And so when he recovers, he actually goes right back into that city and starts proclaiming the gospel again. Paul knows what it's like to be literally, physically struck down. And we're going to see that later in 2 Corinthians. Paul is afflicted in every way, in many ways. He He went through sleepless nights and hunger for the gospel. Definitely persecuted definitely reviled for his belief in Jesus. But listen to what he says. He says, We're afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, and struck down but not destroyed. How could Paul have this great exchange in his sufferings? How could he see that even though he was going through all these things, that yet he was not at the end of himself? Well, it has to be that he knew that his sufferings had a purpose. And we see this in verse 10. He says that we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So Paul relates his sufferings in life to being united with Jesus. And it's one of the key purposes of our sufferings is to shape us to be like Jesus. So Paul, he he says that, we carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus. Well, how does that work? Like Jesus died, uh, you know, way back then. How does it work that when, when Paul suffers, when we suffer for the gospel, that we are carrying around the death of Jesus? Well, it comes to just a realization that Jesus came into this world fully God and fully man. He came into a sin-stained world, a fallen world. He walked in our shoes. He saw death. He uh, passed by sickness. He uh, interacted with those who had no hope, who were at the end of themselves, the sick, as we said earlier. And he himself experienced life in a fallen world. He was betrayed by one of his disciples. He was deserted by the rest of them. And he was denied by the one who said that he would stand for him forever, Peter. So Jesus himself has experienced sorrow. He, he stood at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend, and he felt the sting of death. And it says that Jesus wept. But more than that, Jesus, the son of God, the son of man, the man of sorrows, as Isaiah says, came into this world to bear a cross. So the night before he was given over to death, Jesus in the garden is, is literally sweating tears of blood, saying, if there's any way that this can be passed from me, let it be so. But but Father, not my will, but yours be done. So we get this scene in the garden where Jesus is, is pouring out his agony because he knows that on the cross, he is going to take the sin of the world and he is going to experience being forsaken by his Father. And in fact, that's what we see on the cross, that on the cross, Jesus with one of his last breaths, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22, quoting David. 
So what we see is that Jesus, God in the flesh, has suffered for us, for our salvation. And not only that, but to relate to us. In Hebrews 2, it says that he had to become like us in every way so that he could be a great high priest for us, so that he could be the one who we can go to for grace and help in our time of need. This is how Paul can say that he carries around in his body the death of Jesus because he knew that Jesus suffered too. But Jesus suffered for our salvation. He died a brutal death to accomplish the greatest uh, act of salvation in history because the, the wages of sin is death. From the very beginning, sin has wreaked havoc in the world and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all therefore have passed into death, not just eventual physical death, but spiritual death, separation from God. But the payment for our sins should be death, should be eternal separation from God. And so Jesus had to come to undo the effects of the fall. And that's why Jesus suffered in this way is because all suffering ultimately finds its place in the entrance of sin into this world. But back to our text, Paul says we carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So this brings us to our last point, and it's that by dying, we live. So we've looked at how in our weakness, he is strong. In our suffering, he shines. And now in our dying, we live. This is the great paradox of the Christian faith is that God can use our sufferings for good. He can use our sufferings and our griefs and our trials um, to make us more like Jesus. And so I know that I've been talking a lot about uh, being persecuted for the gospel, suffering for the gospel, but I do just want to take an aside and say that in the Christian worldview, all suffering um, beckons the ear of God. You know, God says in the Psalms that uh, he, he's near to the brokenhearted, that there's not uh, a voice, a cry, a groan that he does not hear. And then Romans 8, that he hears our groans and the Spirit intercedes for those who, who can't pray for themselves. And then, you know, Jesus himself uh, told us to come to him if we're weary and heavy laden and burdened down and he will give us rest. And so we have to recognize that, yes, Paul is talking specifically about suffering for the gospel. I think that's really important that we know that living for Christ, if we truly seek to live a godly life, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.15, that we will be persecuted. But all suffering, we have to relate to Jesus because Jesus is our great high priest. He's the one we go to. He is the hope. He is the anchor. He is the one who understands our suffering and our griefs and our trials. And so we have to realize that in our dying, when we feel as if this world has nothing to offer us, it's often those times and those moments and those seasons that God wants to use to press us and shape us to be more like Jesus. So let's go back to that jar of clay analogy as we end. The jar of clay, um, I love the imagery that God gives us elsewhere in Scripture of clay. God says that he is the potter and we are the clay. And so I don't, I don't think it's for any arbitrary reason that Paul uses a jar of clay to say that that's who we are before God because God is in the process of shaping us and molding us to be more like Jesus. The whole point of the Christian life is to, yes, be saved from our sin, 
but then to be transformed and molded to be more like Christ so that as we enter into his presence one day, we may be glorified with him, uh, that we may be uh, like him without sin. And God will do this when, you know, Jesus returns or we die. He will uh, glorify us with him. But in between the now and then, we are in this process of being shaped and molded to be like Jesus. And this is the process of sanctification. It's all over the pages of the New Testament. But the key point of it is that we are relating our sufferings and our trials to Jesus. In Luke 9.23, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The cross was the worst torture device of that time. So the imagery here is not of an easy believism where you just get to, you know, um, say you believe in Christ and do whatever you want after. No, it's denying yourself. It's denying uh, what we think is best for what God thinks is best. It's denying our passions for God's heart and his passions. So this is why Paul says in verse 11, that we are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul understood that it was by dying to himself that he would be made more like Christ. So I want to challenge you today. What areas of your life do you need to give up to Jesus, to die to yourself? Or if you're going through just a period of suffering right now, know that God, even in our weakness, is using those times to make us depend upon him, to show us that we are jars of clay, that he is God, and that only by relating our sufferings to Jesus that we can have hope, that we can have comfort, that we can have endurance to press on. And like Paul, we say in verse 12, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. God will use your sufferings what feels like death in you, to bring life to other people. He can use it. So God has multiple purposes in our sufferings. We may not know the specific details of what we go through, but we trust that God is good and he can work all things together for the good of those who love him and for his glory.